Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. Amen. It is good to be here with y'all. Uh, I said in the early service that our attendance had tripled since our last service. And man, we've more than doubled again. At this rate, we're going to have to build a new building soon. Uh, it is good, good, good to be here to worship with y'all. And hasn't the Lord been good to us during this difficult time? You know, we have, with all that's been going on in our culture, all that's been going on in our, our nation, we have not, that I've been able to identify, had a single individual that's in our church, uh, in our church family that has come down with the COVID disease. And even beyond that, uh, no immediate family members. We have some folks that we've been praying for. Kevin had a, a great aunt and uncle that, that uh, God healed from COVID. And uh, in fact, 95 years old, uh, and he was in the hospital with it, and, and God healed him from it. And so uh, God has blessed us in that way. He has blessed us in other ways. Uh, it has uh, very quickly, uh, the Lord enabled us to get up and running with uh, video and live streaming. Uh, in fact, the very first week we were live streaming, we still had services in here. And a lot of that is because uh, God just poured out uh, his blessing. He put the right people in the right place. Uh, Matthew has just done an incredible job going above and beyond to keep all that technology going. And uh, yes, thank you. Uh, so, you know, the Lord's blessed us in that way. Uh, we have learned a lot. And the Lord's also blessed us because you, those that are in this building and those that are still watching online from home stayed connected. And uh, we've just had a, a it, you know, it's been a strange new world, but God has, uh, has worked through it. The Lord's taking care of the church and, and all of our families at this point financially, uh, even to the point that during this time we were able to get these renovations done in here. Doesn't this look great? Uh, those of you that are out there, you can't see it. I understand that. Uh, you just get to see my smiling face this morning, and that's okay. And then one last thing as we come together in this new uh, kind of new upgraded facility. It's not a new building, but it, there's a, a newness about it. There's a newness about being able to come back together. I want to welcome you to the new First Baptist Watauga. Those of you that showed up today are the founding members. Everybody else has got to join starting next week, all right? Just kidding with that, Jimmy. We're going to let you stay on the roll. We're not going to kick you off yet. But it is good. It is really good to be back with you and to, to be back worshiping live. One of my prayers for you over the last couple months uh, was that the, that the Lord would, would move in some mighty way through these live streams and these feeds 
that you could connect with his spirit and be able to worship. Because I've had the, the, the good fortune of being able to be in the building. And even though there were only 10 or 12 of us here each week, I was able to come and continue to worship live with our praise and worship team. And I recognize that so many of the flock weren't able to. And so I've prayed for you that the Lord would enable you to continue to, to worship and stay connected to him. And I know that, that many of you have, even though it's been a struggle at times. Today, we are going to continue on in our study of James. I, I, I told the first group it is, was very tempting to bail on this and go find a great passage from Psalms and, and just an uplifting and exciting joy-filled passage. Uh, and, and that's what I really wanted to do, but I decided it's better to be obedient to what the Lord had called me to do. And so we're going to continue our study of James on practical Christianity. We're going to be in James chapter 2, the first 13 verses. And it deals with a, a difficult topic, especially the beginning of the text. And we get to the end, uh, I, I pray that the Lord really speak to you through it. Uh, I pray he speaks through you, through all of it, but the title of today's message is How to Avoid Discrimination. I could have also titled it How to Avoid Favoritism. Those two words deal with the same issue from different sides. One of them is placing favor on someone because of how they look or what you see on the outside. The other is discriminating against someone because of how they look on the outside. But James deals with that from the church's standpoint, but I think it applies to us you know, individually and across the board, not just in the church setting. So let me lead you in a word of prayer and then we'll jump into God's word. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you that your word is timely and that when we're obedient and we walk in a relationship with you, you will speak to our hearts and you will reveal our sin, but you'll also encourage us and strengthen us through the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, that we get to come back together today for those that are in the building. And Lord, I thank you for those that are joining us online, that maybe there's a sickness at home or they're just not able to come back yet. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through your word and communicate your truth to all of us, wherever we are today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So when I bring up that subject or that topic, one of the first things that I tend to start going through my mind is I get defensive. I want to say, well, I, I'm not, I don't play favorites. You know, I, I, I'm not prejudiced against anyone. I don't discriminate. And, and I know that if I have that reaction that, Probably most everybody in this room to some extent, that's our first. Oh, well, the sermon's not going to apply to me because I don't discriminate. I don't play favorites. But before you turn me off or tune me out, I want to read the first four verses. And we're going to pause there for a moment because listen to what James says to his church. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor person, stand over here, or sit, sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Well, let's pause there for just a moment. And imagine that you are a salesman. And some of you are salesmen, okay? You're a salesman and someone drives up in front of your business and they're driving a brand new 
Mercedes. And they step out and they have really nice clothes on and, and really nice jewelry. And then another person drives up about the same time in an old, beat-up Ford pickup truck. And they get out and they're wearing maybe torn blue jeans and a dirty shirt. And hair's not perfectly kempt. That's, if you're that salesman, who is the first person that you're going to think, hey, I can make some money here. I can make a sale here. In all honesty, we all do it to some extent. James is talking about doing it in the church. He's saying you better be careful in the church when somebody comes and joins your assembly that you look at one person who, uh, because they're dressed nice and they have jewelry on, and you look at another person, and, and the, the stern warning here is in particular about how you act towards that person. Because the, the bottom line truth is our human nature is going to immediately begin to make assessments. We're going to immediately begin to make some judgments based on outer appearance. And it's going to be a battle for us to fight against that. The, there's an interesting word here. The word that he uses uh, for when he says, do not show favoritism, that word is a Greek word that's really a combination of two different words. One of them, it means to take, uh, the, the second word, to take or to you know, grab a hold of. Uh, the first word means face. And so it's like to take at face value, just to take what's on the surface. And interestingly, there, that word kind of appears in three different forms among Christian authors, the New Testament and then Christian authors following that. Nowhere else in the Greek language does that word appear. Uh, the most respected analytical lexicon that Greek students are aware of is Bauer, Art, and Gingrich. And Bauer and Gingrich says that that word only appears in the Greek language among Christian authors. Christian authors use that word to translate an Old Testament phrase where it says, God does not show partiality. And so this was truly a Christian concept. The rest of the world at the time didn't even have a word for favoritism. But among Christians, the Christian author, beginning here with James, he said, you can't play favorites. You can't just take someone at how they look and make judgments and, and, and assessments on their personhood, on their soul, based on what you see on the outside. So in, in a very real way, this idea of anti-discrimination of, of not showing favoritism and playing favorites in the Greek language in particular is a Christian ideal. And, and the scripture, James suggests that you cannot separate your faith from prejudice. You, you cannot live a Christian life obedient to God and show favoritism. In fact, he's going to be very direct with that a little bit further down in this text. And so, uh, in, in this favoritism, I, I want to encourage you in this, it, it, it spans other issues. James in particular, with his church, he was dealing with people showing favoritism to those who were wealthy or showing a distinction between the wealthy and the poor. It, there's an interesting thing that I learned here too. In, James, in the church James was writing to, that, James, uh, that, that church was pretty much a middle class church. You know, we tend to think, if, if you've studied history much, you know that the middle class was, was not always a, a, a large group of people. In fact, throughout a lot of history, you basically had an upper class and lower class. But in the early church, especially in those Roman times, there had been a growing middle class. And so you, the church was, looked a lot like us. 
you know, wasn't a whole lot of, of uber wealthy people and wasn't a whole lot of poor people. And so he talks about when someone of those classes comes in and joins you, you have to be cautious about how you treat them. And so uh, this spans, though, not just the idea of wealth, but it also, I believe, speaks to us about how we treat people who have a different color skin, how we treat people from a different culture, uh, how we treat people uh, who are of a different gender, how we treat people who have different ideologies than us, maybe political ideologies. We have to be cautious and careful not to play favorites based on what we first see at the outer appearance. And so I'm, I'm seeking to keep with our theme of practical Christianity, and, and I want us to look at four ways that, that you can avoid playing favorites, that you can avoid this kind of discrimination. The first one we find here in the first paragraph, these four, first four verses, is to learn to look at the soul and not the surface. What James is warning them against is when somebody comes in and the first thing you see is jewelry or the first thing you see is their skin color or the first thing that you see is they're rich or they're poor, if, that's, if, that's, if you make decisions in how you treat them over what you see on the surface, on the face of things, then you're sinning. You're committing that sin of favoritism. You've got to learn to look inside and underneath that and understand that every single individual is just that. They're a person whom God loves. Every single person below that facade. Because ultimately, and, and this is a theme that I've talked about a lot, everything that you and I have is a gift from God. If you have the ability to, to make a lot of money, and you have a great job, it is a gift from God. If you, if you have breath in your lungs so that you can, you can even be employed as a gift from God. If you have not caught COVID right now, and I don't see a single mask, and I saw one earlier, you have not caught COVID, it's a gift from God, okay? And so God has blessed you. You have no right to judge others based on just what you see on the outside, because you have been blessed by God. It's a gift of God. And so he makes two assessments here of people who make judgments based on appearance in verse four. The first one he says, if you have done this, if you treat somebody differently because of how they look, you've made a distinction among yourselves. You have shown your own prejudice. You have shown that you're prejudiced. If you treat someone differently based on how they look on the outside, you've proved it. You've proved my point, James says. You've shown that you're prejudiced, that you're playing favorites. And second, he says here, you have become a judge with evil thoughts. Now, he doesn't pull any punches here. He said, if you're a Christian and you treat people differently based on what you see on the outside, on the surface, instead of looking at their soul, you're thinking is evil. It is not of God. Favoritism, discrimination, prejudice is not compatible with Christianity. It is not compatible with walking in a relationship with the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Because the glorious Lord Jesus Christ created all persons. 
regardless of the color that he put on their skin and regardless of whether he placed them in a wealthy country or in a poor country or regardless of their culture, he created all persons and he's not a respecter of persons. So favoritism and prejudice is not compatible with Christianity when we worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to learn to look at the soul and not at the surface. Second, and this is very closely connected, we have to learn to see with God's eyes. Look at verses five through seven. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? James is telling the church, he said, God sees poor people differently than you do. You've got to learn to see people with God's eyes. Didn't God choose even the poor of this world to extend to them his offer of eternal life? To all who loved him, he extended this offer, not just to the rich, not just to those of means, not just those who could tithe and support your ministry. God extended his grace and his mercy to every single person. You've got to learn to see people as God sees people. One of my favorite passages that deals with this is in Matthew chapter 9. And at the end of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has been preaching in various cities, and he's, he's outside of a particular city up on the hillside, and he looks down among the people, and he sees the people, and the scripture says, it's as though he wept. He was moved with compassion, because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. It didn't matter whether they were rich or poor. It didn't matter what their background was, what culture they came from. He recognized that they were hurting people who needed a savior. And so out of that, he asked the disciples, he said, I want you to pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up labors under the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Jesus, when he saw people, even people who rebelled against him, sinned against him, he saw them with compassion. Jesus saw Judas with compassion the night before Judas betrayed him. Jesus sees people, not people of color, not people of means, not not people of culture. Jesus sees people with compassion. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to ask the Lord to give us his eyes that we see people like Jesus. You know, when you, it, it's hard. I remember when, when we visited Washington, D.C. And years ago when, when Katie was, was still with us, our first time we'd ever visited Washington, D.C., we saw the Capitol. And one of the things that I was shocked at was on the steps of these beautiful, ornate buildings around the Capitol city, right next to the White House, over around the, 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 the Capitol grounds were drug addicts who were strung out, homeless, needles next to them. And, and in, in my flesh, I, I, I probably, like most ever, other people, walk by them and, and see them as a drug addict who did some really, really stupid things and got themselves in trouble. Maybe they made some horrible decisions and they ended up in that mess. I, but the truth is, regardless of how they got there, I believe that Jesus 
sees that person as a sheep without a shepherd, someone who's hurting. See, the, the enemy is never the person. Paul says our, our battle is against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers. What Satan wants to do is he wants to rob people of their life. He wants to, 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 to destroy people because God loves people. And if we're going to ever be able to get past our tendency, and, and the truth is, for us as human beings, there is a tendency toward favoring people who look like us, favoring people who act like us, favoring people who are of our political persuasion. If we're ever going to get past that, we have to first learn to look at the soul and not the surface, and then we have to see people as Jesus sees people, people whom he loves. And that's the third point, because it, as you get down to, uh, to verse 8, he speaks here of the law of love. It says, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. I absolutely, I love how James described this. He calls this the royal law. What's the royal law? A royal law is the law of kings. A royal law is the law of kingdoms. Out of all of the rules and regulations, and, and we can get caught up in all kinds of discussions about the, the, the rules and, and, and the, the list and what you ought to do and what you ought not do, James says there is a royal law that has been given by God that overarches all of that. And you know where James got this, right? He got it from Jesus. Because Jesus said, there's really one law. Love the Lord your God, love others as yourself. And if you do those two things, everything else is going to fall in place. And so James, he takes that royal law that he gives us here, love your neighbor as yourself, and he sets that against in verse 9, showing favoritism, taking face, okay, taking things just at face value. And listen, listen to what he says about it. If you, however, show favoritism, you commit sin, and are convicted by the law of the transgressors. See, favoritism, prejudice, discrimination are not just bad ideas. They're sin. When you show favoritism, you sin against God. You have broken the royal law. The, the, in particular, the, 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 the law that Jesus says is more important than anything else, the one that, that, that is a banner over all of the other ways that you can go about pleasing him. If you show favoritism, if you discriminate, if you show prejudice, you have broken the royal law, you have failed to love your neighbor as yourself, and you have sinned. And so he goes on to quantify it this way. He says, look, you can go all of your life and not murder. You can go all of your life and not commit adultery. But if you've broken the royal law by showing favoritism, you might as well have murdered and you might as well have committed adultery because you have sinned against God. James doesn't pull any punches here. When we show favoritism, especially when we act upon that inclination towards separating people based on just what's on the outside instead of looking at their heart. We have sinned against God and we have broken his most precious law. I want to back up for just a moment because in that second paragraph, 
is a beautiful picture that he gives us. When he says, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? See, this is the first half of that royal law is loving God. If we love God, we're going to obey his commandments. If we love God, we're going to love others. The most important thing that I want you to see here from this text, though, is God offered the kingdom of his kingdom. He offered that we could be heirs of his kingdom. We could become his children. We could walk in a relationship with him if we loved him. And so the bottom line here is, you know what? This passage does say that God discriminates to some extent. Well, that's a little bit hard to swallow. If, but, but if God discriminates, the scripture says God discriminates toward the poor. God discriminates and, and, and shows favoritism toward those who can't do anything for him. To those who are so poor that they can't add anything to his kingdom. Now, you know who that is? That's all of us. Do you think God who seated in heaven, who created all that we see, he created all of the mountains that I've been posting pictures of during this COVID crisis. He created the grizzly bears and he created the antelope. Do you think the God who created all of that and created all of us and created all of the heavens and all of the skies, do you think he needs me to be happy? Do you think he needs you to be pleased and to have some kind of fulfillment? No, he's God. We are so poor in the eyes of God that we can't add anything to his kingdom. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need me. He doesn't really need you. But you know what? He wants us because he loves us. God chose us because he loves us, not because we could add anything to his kingdom. Not because he was more complete with Dennis on board. But because he loves me. And he didn't show favoritism. It doesn't matter if I was from South India or, or, or North America or from East Asia. I, I'm not rich enough. I, I, Bill Gates is not rich enough to add anything to the kingdom of God and his glory. But God loves us and he chose us. And so in reality, the only hope that we have of ever becoming recipients of his kingdom is if we become poor in spirit. As long as I think I'm good enough and as long as I think I'm rich enough, I'll never come to Christ. Right? That's what Jesus told some of the leaders. We, he said, look, if, if you were poor, you would know me. But because you're rich, you, you don't think you need me. You, you think you got it all figured out. So you, you, you can't enter the kingdom of God. I came for those who are poor and who are broken because they're willing to receive me. We will never receive Christ until we become poor and broken. Sometimes it, that doesn't mean materially. Sometimes it means that we got to realize that we have messed up our lives so bad that the only hope of, of having a meaningful life is we just surrender to him and give our lives over to him. We become so poor in spirit that we completely surrender. Then God can take us and mold us and shape us and make us the men and women that he wants us to be. God chooses the poor. 
whether they're poor financially or they're poor in spirit, he chooses the poor and pours out his blessings, his kingdom upon them. So the first three things, how to avoid discrimination, favoritism, look at the soul, not the surface. See with God's eyes, see people with God's eyes, and then love as God loves. And then finally, you come down to verses 12 and 13. Speak and act with mercy. Verse 12, he says, speak and act to those who are to be judged, or speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. We sang a song a little while ago, I'm free, free, free indeed, but why am I free? I am free because Jesus died on the cross and set me free from the law of sin and death. I have life in me because of what Jesus did. I am free. How did I receive that free gift of Jesus? How did I receive that freedom that comes from him? I received it through his blood that was shed on the cross, not because I deserved it. Not because there was anything good in me. Not because I, I, I did enough good deeds. It, Jesus died on the cross and offered me freedom. And verse 13 says, and it came through his mercy. See, if, if God were to give me and you what we deserve, we would be without hope. There's not a single one of us in here that is deserving of eternal life. God offered us a gift out of mercy, not out of justice. You know, oftentimes we'll, you know, we'll cry out, God, God, give me what I deserve. <laughs> you don't want what you deserve, right? This isn't fair. You really want what's fair? I wonder if God's ever thinking that. Do you really, Greg Ballow, do you really want what's fair? <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited that God has blessed Greg. Uh, he's going to be the dad of twin daughters. Praise God. Greg is about to learn a lot of stuff. Amen? Woo! Uh, all those things that he did when he was a teenager are going to come back to haunt him. God does not give us what we deserve. God has extended to us mercy. My only hope of a relationship with a living God is that he sees my sin and he looks past my sin to see the blood of Christ that was shed for me and he has mercy on me. See, it, it wasn't out of God's righteousness that he chose you to become a part of his family. It was out of his mercy and his grace that he chose you to become part of his family. If we are the recipients of God's mercy, we have been blessed with an incredible gift that we don't deserve, then it is incumbent upon us to treat others with mercy. You know what that means? People that don't look like me, I still treat them with mercy. In my speech and in my actions, I still speak of them and I still treat them with mercy. See, a lot of times, even when we don't act prejudiced or we don't act discriminatory our speech still betrays us and in all honesty it's a struggle for many of us I was raised in the south I was raised from a family that that had some sense of prejudice ingrained and, and in my family it wasn't about skin color it was about 
where you originated from. Uh, my dad told me he was 13 years old before he ever learned that damn Yankee was two words. He thought that there was just one word because they were discriminatory against anybody from the North. And that was his upbringing. And so that was ingrained in me to some extent. Now, praise God that I got over that because my wife was born in New York. And uh, she doesn't want people to know that. See, she got to Texas as quick as she could. She's over there going, shh, don't tell people that. But all of us, to some extent, because of our culture, because of how we're raised, we tend to have some inclination to play favorites, to, to more quickly agree and connect with some people than we do with others. And we're always going to have to be fighting against that. Well, one of the most important things that we can do to fight against that is always treat one another with mercy. And that means not just people who are different than us, but people who have hurt us. What about somebody who has wronged me? Should I still love them? Should I still treat them with respect and mercy? Well, you wronged God, and he still treats you with respect and mercy. Well, here's where it gets tougher. What about someone who hurts my children? Or someone who hurts my grandchildren? Should I still treat them with respect and mercy? Yes. Ultimately, if you expect God to treat you with mercy, you need to treat others with that same mercy and grace. You know, it's in the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we, we pray that line, Lord, forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. And I'm afraid that if some of us, if God really held us to that, some of us would be in deep trouble. If he, if he only forgave us to the extent that we forgave those who had sinned against us. But we need to act and speak as those who are judged by the law of freedom. We have been set free by the blood of Christ. God looked on our soul and said, yeah, he's a mess, but I love him. And he poured out his spirit upon us and he offered us the free gift of eternal life. Regardless of my sin against him. Regardless of what I could bring to the table. Regardless of the fact that I really had nothing to offer to the kingdom of God that could make him better or happier or richer. God extended his grace and mercy toward me. And God, it is incumbent upon us because of that to extend that same grace and mercy to others. Regardless of social status, skin color, gender, political alliance, or anything else. Because here's the bottom line, folks. When we show partiality, that's a good word, because it means both favoritism and discrimination. When we show partiality, we sin against the royal law, against God's law to love your neighbor as yourself. We're gonna close today without a public invitation because of the restrictions but if God is dealing with you and you would say, you know, Pastor, I've, I've never made that decision to follow Christ as my Savior. And I want to begin this new journey by making that decision and following him in baptism. I'm certainly still open to baptisms. <laughs> if God is working in your life and you feel like you need to confess him as your Savior, 
and like to be baptized. We're going to encourage you to either get in touch with us right after the service or just get online through that contact card or that prayer connection and connect with Kevin and I so that we can talk to you about it. If you need prayer, certainly you can connect with us that way as well. And, and we are faithful to pray for those prayer requests. And so I want you to stand with me and the worship team is going to come. I'm going to lead us in a, in a quick prayer as they come.